Chapter Twenty One of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter Twenty One. Antifer and his companions left Tunis at break of day. The banker was with them, and so was Ben Omar and his clerk, a veritable caravan of six persons, knowing now where this irresistible appetite for millions was taking them. There was no need now to make any mystery of the matter with Ben Omar, and consequently. Sook was not unaware that island number two was in the Gulf of Guinea. A long way this time, said Jewel to Ben Omar, and if you are afraid of the fatigues of the voyage, you are quite at liberty to give it up. And really it is a good many hundreds of miles by sea, from Algiers to Luango. Ben Omar, however, had no hesitation about going, for Sook would have permitted none. And besides, there was the magnificent commission glittering before his eyes. Thus on the 24th of April, Antifer, dragging with him Tregomain and Jewel, and Saouk dragging with him Ben-Omar, and Zibuko dragging himself, occupied their places in the coach or diligence which runs between Tunis and Bone. Perhaps they might not exchange a word, but at least they would travel together. Let it not be forgotten that the evening before Jewel had written another letter to Enugate. In a few days the girl and her mother would know for what part of the globe Antifer was bound in search of his famous legacy, now reduced by fifty percent. It was not too much to reckon that this second voyage would last a month, that Enigate would see her lover again in the middle of May. How Enigate would despair when she received this letter, if she could only have hoped that at Jules' return all the difficulties would be smoothed over, and her wedding take place without delay. But what could she expect with such an uncle? Tregomain, then, was destined to cross the line. He, the bargeman of the rants, was to sail in the southern hemisphere. What would you have? Life is made up of such unlikely things that the excellent man would be astonished at nothing, not even at being at the indicated spot and digging out of island number two the three famous barrels of Camel Lake Pasha. These considerations did not, however, hinder him from casting a look of curiosity over the country through which the diligence was passing, which over slightly resembled the plains of Brittany, even those that are hilly. But probably he was the only traveler of the six who thought of retaining some remembrance of the appearance of the country. The vehicle was not comfortable, and did not travel fast. From one stage to another, the three horses trot along uphill and downhill, with many a sudden turn amid the alpine scenery, especially in this wonderful Medjerda Valley, dashing over torrents, which had no bridges, with the water often up to the axle trees. The weather was beautiful, the sky of a deep blue, or rather a ripe blue, as if browned slightly by the intense heat of the sun. The bardo, the bay's palace, which they saw on the left shore, so brilliantly white that it would have been prudent to look at only through smoked glasses. So it was with the other palaces, embowered in thick fig trees and pear trees, like weeping willows, with their branches drooping to the ground. Here and there were groups of tents of striped cloth, under which appeared the heads of Arab women of serious countenance, and the brown faces of children no less grave than their mothers. Afar in the fields, on the slopes, amid the rocky steeps, were herds of sheep and goats as black as crows. Now and then birds would fly around the diligence, and then the whip would crack in the air. Among these birds, parrots were numerous, and distinguishable by their vivid colors. They were in thousands, and if nature had taught them to sing, man had not yet taught them to talk. And so the diligence traveled. The horses were changed frequently. Tregomain and Jewel never omitted to get out and stretch their legs, 
Sebuko alighted occasionally, but never spoke to his companions. "'There is a man,' said the bargeman, "'who seems as greedy of the poshest millions as our friend Antifer. "'Quite so, Tregamine, and the two legatees are worthy of each other.' Whenever he alighted, so tried to overhear what was being said. Ben Omar remained quietly in his corner, engrossed in the thought that he would soon have to go to the sea again, and after the choppy waves of the Mediterranean, he was to brave the long rollers of the Atlantic. Antifer also never moved. He sat with his thoughts concentrated on this island number two, this rock lost amid the burning African waters. Before sunset, there appeared a group of mosques, marabouts, white domes, slender minarets. This was Taburka, encircled by a frame of verdure, and which remains intact its aspect as a Tunisian town. The diligence stopped here for some hours. The travelers alighted at a hotel, or rather an inn, where they were served with a not particularly appetizing repast. As to visiting the town, it was not to be thought of. Of the six, there was only the bargeman, and perhaps Jewel, if he asked him, who would have had such an idea. Besides, Captain Antifer ordered them, once and for all, not to go far away, for fear of occasioning delay, and they took care to do as they were told. At nine o'clock the journey was resumed, the night fine and starlight, but it was not without danger that vehicles venture across the deserted districts between sunset and sunrise, for there are dangers from the bad state of the roads, dangers from robbers, cremiers and others, dangers from attack by wild beasts. Occasionally, from amid the tranquil gloom along the edge of the thick woods skirted by the diligence, could be heard the roaring of lions and the growling of leopards. At this the horses shied, and it took all the driver's skill to master them. The cries of the hyenas were heard unheeded. The zenith grew paler towards four o'clock in the morning, and the diffused light grew strong enough for the details of the landscape to be gradually visible. But the horizon was not extensive, only the gray hills and long undulations thrown on the ground like an Arab cloak. The valley of the Majurda lay curving at their feet, with its yellow river, sometimes a smooth stream, sometimes a troubled torrent, flowing among the oleanders and flowering eucalyptus. The country is varied and mountainous in this part of the Regency, bordering on Crumeria. If the bargeman had traveled in the Tyrol, he might have thought himself among the wilder portions of the Alps, if it had not been for the lesser heights of the hills. But he was not in the Tyrol, nor in Europe, from which he was daily going further. And then the corners of his mouth would rise, which rendered his physiognomy more pensive, and his thick eyebrows would fall, which made him look more uneasy. Now and then, he and Jewel would look at each other, and these looks were quite a silent conversation. In the morning, Antifer asked his nephew, Where shall we get to before night? Gardameo. And when shall we be at Bone? Tomorrow evening. The gloomy Antifer resumed his habitual silence, or rather his thoughts were lost in that uninterrupted dream which led him from the Gulf of Oman to the Gulf of Guinea, and rested on the only point of the terrestrial spheroid which could interest him. And then he thought to himself that other eyes besides his own were fixed on this point, those of the banker Zambuco. In truth, these two beings, of races so different, of habits so opposite, who ought never to have met in this world, seemed to have become of one mind, as if they had been linked together like galley slaves with the same chain. Only the chain was of gold. The forest of fig trees became thicker and thicker. Now and then Arab villages emerged from the glaucous greenery with which the castor oil trees tint their flowers and leaves. 
Sometimes there appeared a drachet or two on the sloping sides of the mountains. Here tents arose, and sheep fed on the banks of a torrent. Then a station for changing horses would appear, generally some miserable stable where men and beasts lived together promiscuously. In the evening they reached Gardamayo, or rather the wooden cabin surrounded by a few others, which twenty years afterwards was to form one of the stations of the railway from Bone to Tunis. After a halt of two hours, too long for the rudimentary dinner furnished by the inn, the diligence resumed its journey along the windings of the valley, sometimes skirting the Majurda, sometimes crossing the brooks, of which the waters often rose over the travelers' feet as they sat in the coach, toiling up hills so steep that the horses could hardly draw the load, dashing down slopes with a rapidity that the brake could hardly check. The country was magnificent, particularly in the environs of Motars, but no one could see anything in the very dark, misty night, and everyone was being overcome by the longing for sleep after forty-three hours of such jolting. The dawn had appeared when Antifer and his companions arrived at Sukaris, at the end of a tiresome winding on the flank of a hill, which united the town to the road along the valley. A comfortable hotel welcomed the weary travelers. This time, the three hours they rested did not appear too long, and certainly would have appeared too short if they wanted to visit the picturesque town. Antifer and Zambuco, of course, protested against the time lost at this halting place, but the coach was not due to start until six o'clock in the morning. Calm yourself, said Tregamine, to his irritable companion. We shall be at Bone in time to catch the train tomorrow morning. And why not, with a little more haste, catch it tonight, retorted Antifer. There is not one, said Jewel. Suppose there is not. Is that any reason for us remaining in this hole? Here, my friend, said the bargeman, here is a pebble I picked up for you. Yours ought to be nearly worn out by this time. And Tregamine handed him a charming specimen of Majurta gravel the size of a green pea, which was soon being ground between the Malouin's teeth. The bargeman then asked him to accompany them only to the principal square. He refused point-blank, and drawing the atlas out of his bag, he opened it at the map of Africa, and plunged into the waters of the Gulf of Guinea at the risk of drowning his reason. Tregamine and Jewel went for a stroll on the Place de Gast, a vast quadrilateral planted with a few trees, bordered with houses of very oriental aspect with cafés, already open at that early hour, which were crowded with natives. At the first rays of the sun, the mists dispersed, and a fine day, warm and bright, announced itself. As he walked, the bargeman was all eyes and ears. He tried to hear all that was going on, although he understood nothing. He strove to see what was happening in the interiors of the cafés and in the shops, although he bought nothing and drank nothing. As wayward fortune had sent him on this unlooked-for voyage, the least he could do was to bring away a few lasting impressions. And thus he spoke. No, Jewel, we cannot keep on traveling as we are doing. We stop nowhere. Three hours at Sukaras, one night in Bone, two days on the railway, with short stoppages at the stations. What have I seen of Tunis? What shall I see of Algeria? I admit it. It is only common sense. But say that to my uncle, and see what he'll say to you. This is not a pleasure journey, but a business one. And who knows how it will end. In a hoax, I think. Yes, continued Jewel. Why should not island number two contain a document referring us to island number three? And so on to island number four, and island five, and all the islands in the sea, said Tregamine, nodding his big head. And you will follow my uncle. 
I? Yes, you. You cannot refuse him anything. That is true. The poor man troubles me much, and I am afraid his head... Well, Tregamine, as far as I'm concerned, I draw the line island number two. Does Enigate want to marry a prince? Do I want to marry a princess? Certainly not. Besides, now we have to share the treasure with this crocodile of a Zambuco. It is only a question of a duke for her, and a duchess for you. Do not laugh, Tregamine. I was wrong, my boy. It is no laughing matter. And if we have to prolong this search... Prolong? asked Jewel. No. We go to the Gulf of Luango, but beyond, never. I shall know how to make my uncle return to St. Malo. And if he refuses? If he refuse, I will leave him there and then. I will return to Enogate, and, as she will be of age in a few months, I shall marry her in spite of wind and tide. Do not be obstinate, my dear boy, and have patience. All will come right, I hope. It will end with your marrying my little Enogate, and I will dance at your wedding. But do not let us miss the diligence. Let us return to the hotel. If it is not asking too much, I'd rather reach Bone before night, so as to see a little of the town. As to Constantine, Philippeville, and all the other queer places, what shall we see of them? If it is not possible, I shall have to be contented with Algiers, where we shall stay a few days, I suppose. He is not lucky to find a vessel ready to start immediately for the west coast of Africa, and he will have to wait for one. We will wait, replied the bargeman, smiling at the thought of visiting the marvels of the Algerian capital. You know Algiers, Jewel? Yes, Tregamine. I have heard sailors say that it is very fine. The town in the semicircle, its wharves, squares, arsenal, garden, its Mustafa, its Kasbah, its Kasbah, particularly. Very fine, Tregamine, interrupted Jewel. But I know something finer. There is St. Malo. And the house in the Rue des Hautes-Sales, and the little room on the first floor, and the little girl who lives therein, eh? I am of your opinion, my boy. But as we have to pass Algiers, let me hope that I may visit Algiers. And abandoning himself to this hope, the bargeman, followed by his young friend, turned towards the hotel. It was time. The horses were being put to. Captain Antifer was striding to and fro, growling at all latecomers, although they were not late. Tregmain bowed his head beneath the stormy look his friend launched at him. In a few minutes, they were all seated and the diligence was descending the rugged slopes of Sukaris. It was really a pity that the bargeman was not allowed to explore this Tunisian territory. Nothing could be more picturesque. Hills which are almost mountains, wooded ravines, which forced the future railway to make many a roundabout route across the opulent verdure. Large rocks rising from the ground. Here and there, duars, swarming with natives, and with big fires round them at night, as a defense against wild beasts. Triggerman would relate what the driver had told him, for he talked with him whenever he had an opportunity. In a year, forty lions at least are killed among the brushwood, and the leopards killed amount to several hundreds, to say nothing of the crowds of howling jackals. Antifer cared nothing for Tunisian leopards and lions. If there had been a million of them on island number two, he would not retreat an inch from his purpose. But the banker on one side, and the notary on the other, listened to Tregamine's tales with interest. Zambuco would often take a sly glance out of the window, and Ben Omar would lean back in his corner and start and turn pale whenever a growl was heard from the thicket along the road. I have heard, said Tregamine, that the diligence has been attacked before now, and firearms had to be used to drive the beasts off. Last night, even, the coach had to be burnt to drive off a lot of leopards by the glare of the flames. 
"'And the travelers?' asked Ben Omar. "'The travelers had the journey on foot to one of the places where they change horses.' "'On foot!' exclaimed the notary in a trembling voice. "'I could never!' "'Well, you could have remained behind, Mr. Omar. "'We should not have waited for you, you may be sure.' "'It could be guessed that this observation came from Captain Antifer. "'He did not again join in the conversation, "'and Ben Omar had to recognize that he was not born to be a traveler, "'either on land or sea. "'The day went by without the wild beasts manifesting their presence, "'except by distant growls. "'But to his great disgust, Tregman had to make up his mind that it would be night before the diligence reached Bone. It was seven o'clock in the evening when they passed Hippo, a locality that is famous as being linked with the imperishable name of St. Augustine, and curious on account of its deep reservoir, where the old Arabs indulged in their incantations and sorceries. Twenty years later, they would have seen the founding of the Basilica and the hospital, which have risen from the ground under the powerful hand of Cardinal de la Vigiri. As they entered Bone, a deep darkness enveloped its promenade along the shore, its harbor terminating the sandy point to the westward, the clumps of trees which shade the quay, the modern city with its large square, its casbah, which might have given the bargemen a foretaste of the casbah of Algiers. The travelers chose a hotel in the chief square, had their supper, and went to bed at ten o'clock, ready for the journey next morning. And that night, thoroughly tired out by sixty hours in the diligence, they all slept even the terrible Antifer. End of chapter 21